The rest of us can be opening our Bibles to Romans chapter 6 today. Romans chapter 6. We're going to continue on in our study in the book of Romans. And uh, we left off last week in verse 17, where Paul says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. And we talked about the fact that that was in past tense, that ye were the servants of sin. So now Paul is saying, I'm thankful that you were once this, but now you are this. And so with that thought in mind, he moves into uh, verse 18, and we're going to start out today, first point, talking about keeping oneself from sin's slavery. He's talking about how in verse 17, we, you were the servants of sin. You were a slave to sin in the past. But now you have obeyed the doctrine that has been taught, and so you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Sin no longer is our boss and master. Notice what he says in verse 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. He says you are free from being a slave to sin. Uh, Wiest in his commentaries on dealing with this issue of being a slave, uh, he says basically a slave was one whose will was swallowed up in the will of another. In other words, my will does not matter. It's swallowed up in somebody else's will. I'm bound to the master with bonds that only death can break. And I serve a master to the disregard of my own interest. That's what being a slave meant. And so Paul says, you were that to sin. You were, you were bond, bound to sin, and the only thing that could separate you was death. Death had to take place to break the bonds of servitude. Well, we know, folks, that Jesus Christ conquered death. He conquered death. He holds the keys to hell and the grave. And so we have in Jesus Christ, as we serve a new master, a servant of righteousness, we have in Christ a bond that will no longer be broken. We willingly now choose to come and to serve a new, <clears throat> excuse me, a new master. And, uh, and that's where, where Paul is starting to, to lay down this ideology that we do not have to be a slave to sin anymore. We can choose willingly to be a servant to righteousness. And then he says this in verse 19. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded yourself, your, yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now let's pick, take, take that apart here and see what he's talking about. First of all, he's not talking about, in these two verses, sinless perfection. Uh, I don't know about you folks, but I can very quickly tell you I don't live a life of sinless perfection. And I'm sure most of you, or if not all of you, could raise your hand and say the same thing. That's not how we live. Now, that would be great. It would be wonderful if we could live lives of sinful perfection. But it's not the case. How do we know that? Well, all we've got to do is flip over to 1 John chapter 1, 
and verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. He says, if, if you claim that you don't live a life of sin, he says, you are deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. But then, thank the Lord, verse 9 comes after verse 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why that's such a beautiful verse, folks. It's such a beautiful verse because it follows right on the coattails of a verse that says, you don't possibly by yourself live separate always of sin. You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have struggles. But we can confess those sins. So what does it boil down to? Well, it boils down to what Paul's talking about in verse 19. It boils down to who do we yield ourselves to? Who do we yield ourselves to? What Paul is telling us to do here is not to go back to the old boss. He says, you were a servant of sin. Now you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Now you're supposed to be a servant unto righteousness. Don't go back to the old boss. Now, many, many years ago, <laughs> in another place in time, uh, in the big heyday of Kmart, I worked at Kmart and so did Joyce. Matter of fact, we met at Kmart. And uh, we were at, went to the same college, but we, we met each other the first time at Kmart. And working there in, in, at that particular time in Lynchburg. But I worked at the Kmart in Downers Grove, Illinois. I had a boss named Mr. Cop, and, uh, and I, I really liked Mr. Cop a lot. He was a great boss. But along the way, I had moved from position to position to position, and, and I was kind of like, uh, I, I ended up being like this stockman who all over the store. And finally one day, Mr. Cop came to me, and Mr. Cop said, he said, I love the work you're doing. I want you to do it for me, so you are going to become my personal stockman. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. But basically, it meant that there were other assistant managers in the store, that always were giving me lists of what they wanted me to do. But Mr. Cop said, I am now, you're my personal stockman, so when you come to work, I will make sure your schedule matches my schedule. You will have a list from me, and you are to work on my list and my list only. Well, I love that. That was great. Because what he said afterwards was what was the greatest part. He said, you're no longer to listen to the other assistant managers and what they want you to do. If they ask you to do anything, you are to tell them you're working for Mr. Cop and they need to see me. This is great. <laughs> I mean, this, this is, I'm a young kid and I got one boss and one boss only, Mr. Cop. All I got to do is make him happy. And if anybody else wants me to come work for them, I just tell them I work for Mr. Cop. You need to go see him. And you know, that happened. Because, of course, the assistant managers are used to using me for all their labor. So they would come to me and I'd say, I'm working for Mr. Cop. You need to go see Mr. Cop. And he would take care of them and get them straight. Well, you know, I think of that, and I think it's kind of the same thing here. I had all these former bosses that were used to bossing me around. Now I have Mr. Cop, who I am his personal stockman, and I only work for him, but the other bosses keep coming around trying to get me to work for them. And see, folks, that's the same picture of what Paul's talking about here in this passage. He says, you once had a boss, that boss was sin. But you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, so now you are not a servant to sin, you're a servant 
to righteousness. Don't let the old boss keep coming back telling you what to do. That's what Paul's saying, folks. That's what he's saying. He is spending a lot of time, is he not, on this very issue? I mean, we've had, I think, three messages now that are all kind of dealing with the same issue. Paul spends so much time on it. Why? Because he knows it's a struggle that we have. Matter of fact, we're going to find out as we continue, not this week, but in future weeks, it's a struggle Paul had, too. We're not alone in that struggle. We're not alone in allowing the old boss to come over here and say to us, oh, you need to be doing this as well. But it's something we can overcome. And that's what Paul's telling us to do here in this verse. He says, don't go back to the old boss for instruction. Don't go back there. Notice what that boss brings. He says, that way, when you yield your members to that, what do you get? He says, you get iniquity unto iniquity. Sin piling on to sin. That's what he's basically saying. That, that's the life over here. When we're listening to the boss that's sin, when we're listening to that boss in our life, he says you're basically piling up sin on top of sin. That's what he says you're doing. It's one iniquity after another iniquity after another iniquity. He said that's not how I want you to be living. That's not how God wants you to be living. He says, instead, how does he want us to live? As servants to righteousness unto holiness. What a difference. What a difference that righteous living brings. Here we're racking up sin on top of sin on top of sin. But we come over to here to righteous living, and what are we building up? Righteousness unto holiness. What does the Bible tell us about holiness? Well, God says, be holy, for I am holy. That's what it tells us about righteousness. We're supposed to be living that way. We're supposed to be building up righteousness unto holiness in our life. That's how we are supposed to be living. And so Paul warns us in verse 19 here, don't yield yourself to the old boss. Don't do it. And then he goes into verse 20. He says, for when you were the servants of sin... You were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So now Paul takes us down the road of sin, the path of sin. And he says, at the time you were yielded to sin, you were free from righteousness. You weren't expected to live righteously because you were yielded unto sin. But he said, he said, what did that road bring you? And notice the description he uses. He says, in those things whereof ye are now ashamed. What does that mean? The word literally there means, uh, the word ashamed means to make one blush. In other words, I look at my past life, and because of how it was, it would make me blush now because I don't want any part of it. See, what Paul is saying is, don't, don't go back to the old life. Now, I know some of your testimonies in this room. And some, some of you had some rough times in your old life. Some of you had some real struggles in your old life. And Paul's saying, look at that back there, things that should make you blush now, and don't be a part of it. That's what he's saying. Don't be involved in it. Why? Because it's a pathway. And what does that pathway lead to? Folks, it's a pathway that the Scripture tells us leads to death. 
that's what that life leads to. It leads to death. Think about it, folks. We, prior to our salvation, we were on a road literally just walking along with death at the end of that road. That's where we were heading. We were just trudging along in life, living however we wanted to live, doing whatever we wanted to do, walking closer and closer to death. But then we get saved, thank the Lord, and now we're supposed to be walking a path that leads righteousness unto holiness over here. Well, aren't we thankful for that, folks? Aren't we thankful that we don't have to walk that path to death anymore? We don't have to be that person. Matter of fact, Paul tells us, listen, he, he says, he said, that lifestyle should now make you blush. You shouldn't want any part of it. It should be something that seems so vile to you, so evil to you, that you don't want to live there again. And that ought to be every one of our testimonies, folks. Our testimony would be, I don't ever want to be there again in my life. I don't want to live that life. That's what our testimony ought to be. Our testimony ought to be, I want something different. I don't want to live that life. But notice how Paul describes it. He, he says, what fruit had ye then in those things? What did it really benefit it? It brought a life of death. That's what it was. And then he says this in verse 22, but now, being made free from sin, now, now that this is past, now that this is in the past, it's in the rearview mirror, it's behind us, now that this is behind us, we are made free from sin and become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. It couldn't be more extreme, folks. You got one path, is the path that leads to death, and the other path is the path that leads to everlasting life. How could you be any more extreme? And he says, basically, you are on this path, but once you get saved, now you're on this path, so don't go back to this path anymore, is what Paul's trying to say here. He's saying, don't go back to that path, because it leads the wrong direction. And then that takes us to probably one of the most familiar verses to all of us in all the Scripture. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, I'm thankful that that verse exists. I am thankful that that verse exists. Because the wages of my sin, what I should be paid for this lifestyle over here, the check I should collect for this life is death. But instead, Jesus Christ went to the cross, shed his blood on the cross, and handed me a gift that I could choose to take or not to take. And that gift is eternal life through his shed blood on the cross. That's why that verse is so beautiful. That little three-letter word right in the middle of it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that takes us into chapter 7, where he begins to talk about the dominion of the law. Notice what he says, point 2, the dominion of the law. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. 
So he's talking about now, he's talking about the law. Because remember, he's writing to people that have gotten saved, but they understand the law. They've had the law in their life all along. So they, they, they get the law. And so he says, no, I want you to understand that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. And then he gives an example from that of, of marriage. Notice the example he uses. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So basically he uses an example from marriage, something we can understand. He says basically... <coughs> when a man and a woman come together in marriage, they are bound in that marriage. And he said the woman, if she leaves that marriage while her husband still lives and marries another, she's an adulterer. She's an adulteress. But if he dies, she's free. Why? Because he died. And that's the example Paul's trying to give us here about the law. If a man is dead, he's no longer under the law. And I'm thankful for that. We're no longer under the law. So then Paul says all that so he can say what he says in verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. What does Paul say? He says, listen, he says the only way out of your, your dominion in your life by the law is to die. So that's exactly what you did. You died in Christ so that you can live in Christ. That's what he said. He says this is, this is the guidelines. This is the rule. The only way outside the law is to die. And that's exactly what you did in Christ. You died in Christ so that you can live in Christ. And what is the end result of that? The end result of that is that we should bring forth fruit unto God. See, folks, as believers, as those that have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, it is not for us to just sit down and say, I'm thankful I'm not going to hell, but I'm never lifting a finger again. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. What are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be bringing forth fruit. You know, it takes effort and energy to bring forth fruit, doesn't it? Go talk to somebody who, who produces fruit. Go down to Florida and talk to people about the people that grow the oranges that we eat. Well, the oranges you guys eat. I don't eat oranges. But <laughs> the oranges you guys eat. Go down to Florida and talk to them. There is a lot of effort that goes in to getting an orange growing on a tree to your house that you purchase at Walmart. There's a lot of effort that goes into that orange. There's a lot of effort while it's on the tree. There's a lot of effort after it's off the tree. There's a lot of energy, effort, and money expended to get that orange from the tree to you. And God says, listen, you're not just supposed to be kicked back, relaxed, saying, hey, I'm going to heaven. Just sit back and wait for him to return. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. And then he goes on to say this. For when we were in the flesh, 
the motions of sin, the desires of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What is he saying there? Well, there's a lot there. He says, prior to salvation, the flesh and sin reigned in our life. Those passions and desires that ruled and reigned in our life. But now that we're saved, he's saying we serve in newness of spirit. Not following or being bound to, what does he say? The letter of the law. Remember, folks, how the religious leaders thought of the law? I mean, remember all the rules and guidelines, precept upon precept upon precept. And, they would, and, and, and remember how, I mean, they, they thought they had arrived because they knew the law. And what did Christ call them? Well, he called them a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. <laughs> I call them a den of vipers, I believe. He called them some other things too. Why? Because they put everything about them into the law and trying to follow it. But remember, they were hypocritical because they would follow in some things but not in other things. And so Christ called them down on their hypocrisy. He did that several places in Scripture, as a matter of fact. Why? Because no man can follow the law. Why? Because if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of all. The Scripture tells us that. So he says, listen, he says, he says the law was the thing that was in charge in your life until you got saved, but you don't have to follow the letter of the law anymore. Why? Because you have a newness of spirit that comes through salvation. That's what he's saying. So that brings us to our third point today, the law and sin, verse number 7. Uh, well, he says in verse number 7, What shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid. You notice each time Paul asks these rhetorical questions, he answers them with the same two words every time, God forbid. God for, he said, so, so is basically the law sin? Because he just said, you know, you were, you were bound by the law. You were, you were bound to the letter of the law. And now you've saved. You've got this newness of spirit. So he's saying, was the law sin in your life? And he says, God forbid, it wasn't sin in your life. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying this. He says, basically, before the law, we enjoyed a freedom of conscience. We didn't know any better. But when the law comes and the rules are laid out in front of us, now I have the guidelines there to tell me that my behavior is wrong and it's sinful. Why? Because I have the law. I have, I have, at that time it was the law, nowadays it's God's word, his scripture that lets us know how we are to live our life. And, and he says, before that law we enjoyed a freedom, but that law showed us the depths of human nature. Well, I found two interesting little illustrations of that principle this week um, that I, I want us to, to note because I thought they were both good. The first illustration is about, is about a rich man and his gardener. And the rich man was out walking around his yard one day, and the gardener was out working in the garden. 
And he heard, and the gardener was, was sweating, and he was working in the thorns, and he was getting scratched and poked. And all of a sudden, he just heard the gardener just kind of yell out, curse Adam. And the, and the rich man went up to the gardener and said, what, what do you mean, curse Adam? What does that mean? And he said, well, if it wasn't for Adam and his sin, he said, I wouldn't be having all this sweat pouring off of me. I wouldn't be having all these thorns poking me and all these thorns scratching me. It's all because of Adam and his sin. And the rich man looked at the gardener and he said, you would have done the same thing. And the gardener said, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have done the same thing. And the rich man said, okay. So the rich man invited the gardener to his house that evening for a dinner. And so the gardener gets to the dinner and the rich man sits down at the table and the gardener sits down at the table and the, and the waiters, because this man was wealthy, he had people to wait on him, they bring in all these platters of just, just beautiful food, just phenomenal food. And they lay the platters out on the table and then they, they uncover each and every platter except for one. And then one of them whispers something in the ear of the rich man. And the rich man says, oh, you'll have to excuse me for a second. He said, uh, I've got some business I've got to take care of. I will be back in just a couple of minutes. You help yourself to any of the food on the table except for the platter that's covered. That one's a special food for me. And so the rich man walks out of the room. Well, you already know where the story's going, right? As the gardener sat there at a banquet feast of food, delectable food, because this man was wealthy, having every bit of the food at his desire to eat, except for the food that was under the one covered dish. And as time went on, he kept looking at that dish. And finally, he couldn't stand it any longer. He walked over and ripped the lid off that dish. And when he did, feathers flew all over the room, right as the rich man walked back in. What's the point? The point is this, folks. We have a nature that sins. We have a nature that sins, and the law is what finds us guilty of that nature. Ask yourself this. I mean, let's be, let's be gut honest today. We see a sign that says speed limit 60 miles an hour. So what do we want to do? We want to go 65. Do we not? I see Vern over there. Vern probably wants to go 70. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but you know, right? I mean, because I mean, Vern likes good cars. So uh, anyway, but right? I mean, we, we, we see the sign, and, and we want to go faster than the sign says we can go. Why? Because in our nature, I don't want to be bound by the sign, by the law. That's my nature. My nature is I want to be able to, listen, I got, I got stuck on 95, you know me in 95, I got stuck on 95 the other day, and Alyssa can be my witness, I was so frustrated, we, we had to get off because there was an accident, and we got on the ramp, and, and, and on the ramp, the ramp was only wide enough for one car wide, and we were in the lane, and you know cars kept jumping out of the lane onto the shoulder, running past us, almost ripping the mirror off my truck, because why? They didn't want to be bound by the law. They didn't want to be bound by the two lines that showed that lane. Now, I was in the flesh that day. If I had an old truck, I probably would have pulled right out in front of one of them. But anyway, but I, I, did not, I didn't want to hurt my truck. But it was frustrating. Why? Because we want to not be bound by the laws. 
So here's illustration number two to make this point. I love this illustration. So there was a brand new community being built in Florida. And it, it, it was a condominium community that was being built right up against the water. And as the community was being built, the people that were building it were worried because it was so close to the water that they were worried that people would go out on their balcony and try to fish off of their balcony. And they were worried, like, you know, if they're throwing a heavy thing out there, it swings down and hits the window in the place below it and breaks the window or something. So when they built the complex, they put signs up all over the place. Don't fish from the balcony. You know what they had? People fishing constantly from the balconies. Why? Because we don't like to be bound by the guidelines. Well, you know what? They solved their problem one day. You know what they did? They took all the signs down. Nobody ever tried to fish from a balcony again. See, folks, there's something about the law that reveals what's in the inner man. And that's not good for us, folks, unfortunately, because it reveals our true nature. It reveals what's inside of us. We don't like to be bound by the law. But the problem is, folks, and we'll be done, the problem is sin deceives us. Sin deceives us. Sin tells us it's all going to be good. Sin tells us there's a better way. Sin tells us God didn't mean what he said. Sin tells us you'll enjoy this, not just temporarily. Sin feeds us all these lies, folks. Why? Because the father of lies, Satan, that's what he's best at. He's best at feeding us lies. And we believe them. Why? Because inside we don't want to be bound by law, by guidelines. We have a nature that wants to make its own decisions. And so, folks, Paul's telling us here, listen, you served sin here. You accepted the Lord as your Savior. You're supposed to be serving righteousness here. Don't go back to serving sin. Don't go back to that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. We come to the end of the message. Simple words from Paul here, folks, but boy, do they hit home. I mean, I don't know about for you, but they certainly hit home for me. I, I, I mean, how often do we go back to the old boss? And, and we shouldn't. We don't need to. But we do. Why? Because my, my nature is that. And so I have to learn to not return there, to put that man to death, the, the Scripture tells us, and follow righteousness unto holiness. That's what I should be doing in my life. Let's stand with our head bowed. Eyes closed. I'm going to ask Elizabeth just to play a verse of a song. Maybe the Lord spoke to your heart and you need to do business with God. The altar's open as we wait for a moment this morning.